This week we continue our series, Bad Advice, as we explore phrases that have made their way into the lexicon of Western Christianity's lingo. I've, I've quite enjoyed this series, but I think we'll come back to it at, at some point. If, if you have phrases that you think belong or, or that you think we should take a look at, please let me know. It would be fun to explore those together when we circle back around sometime in the future. The piece of bad advice that we'll be looking at this morning is another well-meaning phrase that springs from some biblical passages, and, and so we'll have to work backwards a little bit before we can really start working forwards like we have with some of our pre- previous pieces of bad advice. The phrase we're looking at this week is, you just need to have more faith. Ever heard that one before? I think a bit of a problem with this one is that it, it hits us or we hear it most often during times of hardship. When Karen was carrying our, our daughter Ava, Ava, who was diagnosed with trisomy 18, there were times that well-meaning friends would remind us that God is the great physician, and if we have enough faith, he would heal our daughter. I've heard TV preachers pull this out when they invite people to come down to the front of the stage and, and receive the healing that God wants to give them, if only... If only they have the faith. Or maybe it's a request for tithes. Give your money to our mission. Give more than you can afford to give. And because of your faith, if you have enough faith, you will receive from God more than you originally gave. And when we push back on this train of thought, those that espouse it can point to the Bible passages, passages like Matthew 17, where we find Jesus with the disciples, and, and a man comes and, and kneels before Jesus, bringing his demon-possessed son with him, and tells Jesus that the disciples already tried to cast out the demon, but they failed. Would, would Jesus please heal him? And Jesus does. And when the disciples ask Jesus in private why they couldn't cast out the demon, we read his response in verse 20, where he says, He replied, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Sure seems to sound like the issue of faith is with us, right? And if we just had more faith, we'd be able to do what we want to do or what it feels like God is, is wanting us to do, calling us to do, if we only had faith the size of a mustard seed, which many of us have been reminded over and over again is super-duper small, if we only had a small amount of faith, then, hey, look, look at all that we could do. So what happens when our child is not healed from their trisomy 18 diagnosis? What happens when we go to the front of the stage at the crusade and we're not healed? What happens when we give more than we can afford to give and we aren't suddenly blessed by a windfall of cash, but are instead unable to pay bills that need paying? Did we not have enough faith? How can we call ourselves Christians if we didn't even have a mustard seed-sized amount of faith? This past week, Karen, the kids, and I were at Tuscarora for pastor school. A retired pastor and missionary by the name of John Weil was speaking to us during our morning sessions, and he was talking about currents of encouragement. We recognize that it's been a difficult time, not just for pastors in ministry, but for people all overall the past few years. And 
with all the things that can divide us and just the thing, different things that are taking place in, in society. And these, yeah, it pushes us farther away from each other. And so he wanted to take some time to encourage us and, and to build into us. And one of the currents of encouragement that he spent some time on was faith. And what he had to say about faith was great. And I think it applies to our piece of bad advice this morning. And I think it also helps us understand the Matthew 17 to 20 text a little bit better as well. John Weil asked us this question. Are we focusing on the object of faith or the person who is having faith? Where's, where's our focus? Is it on us, on what we want, or is it on God and what He wants? Matthew 17 is not intended to turn the mustard seed into a sword. God isn't weaponizing faith so that we can wield it and, and make it do what we want. That's focusing on the person who is having faith. I want my daughter to be healed, so she will be, as long as I meet certain requirements. As long as my faith, my, my mustard seed, my sword is sharp enough, I'll be able to carve out my own will, my own desires through God's power. That's how we can view this text, view faith. If we are focusing on the person who has it, if the efficacy, the strength of faith, is rooted in the individual. If our focus is on the object of faith, which for the Christian is Jesus Christ, then we aren't looking at the lacking in the individual, but on the abundance and the ability of Christ. He is the author of faith. He is the one who gives us faith. Faith is intimately tied to Jesus and his will for us, not our will for him. Faith is intimately tied to Jesus and his will for us, not our will for him. So what happens when our faith is shaken? Ever had your faith shaken? Ever wondered how God could let something happen? Ever had something so terrible happen to you or watched it happen to someone else or witnessed it happening in, in the world around you and gone, how could God have let this take place? How could he have not stopped this? Maybe financial hardship hit and you're filing bankruptcy, wondering how God could have allowed a market to crash to rob you of your income and force you into this situation that rightly or wrongly embarrasses you and has made your life that much more difficult. Maybe you got a health diagnosis you feared, but had faith just wouldn't come true. The doctors got it wrong, but, but there it is in black and white, exactly what you didn't want to have happen, didn't want to have to live through. Maybe depression has been wreaking havoc with your life and you don't know how to overcome it. You, you don't know why you can't beat it. Why, why can't you just be happy? Why are the chemicals all messed up? Why can't you just feel normal? Maybe you've experienced or witnessed injustice or racism and wondered how God could let people created in His image, people that He loves, go through such despicable and demeaning experiences. How could He not just... Wipe this stuff from the face of the earth. I don't know what it is you're wrestling with, but as you've wrestled with God in the struggles of life and the brokenness of the world, has your faith been shaken? Has your faith slipped? What then? Where does that leave us? Where do those of us who have struggled with our faith, struggled to, to keep the faith, what hope? is there for us. God's pretty clear that it's faith that saves us, not our works, not our actions, but our faith. 
So if it's faith that saves us, and it's, and it's our faith that has been shaken, our faith that has slipped, what, what then? We are told, you just need to have more faith. But we feel like we're wrestling with the faith that we currently have. What then? Man, I wrestled with Ava's diagnosis. I struggled with God through that one. And in my struggling, I, I knew where I would end up. I knew where the struggle would bring me. I knew that God's word is, is true and that the world is full of situations like mine in many way worse than mine. And I had enough experiences in life where I could, I could look back and I could see God's hand of provision and, and know that he had not taken that hand from me. And yet in spite of this knowledge, I still wrestled. I wrestled because I was hurt and angry. I didn't want to be reminded of how good God is. I didn't want to remember how he had provided for me, how he had loved me, how he had cared about me, how he protects me, how he saved my children in the past. I didn't want to remember because the pain of the now was too unbearable. It, it felt good to wallow in my self-pity and my anger. And so, in my unfaithfulness, I wrestled with God. Can any of you relate? Knowing the right, knowing the truth, but wanting to deny it so that I could justify my anger, so that I could justify my urges and be mad about my hurt. Being swayed by emotion and knowledge, not, not permanently, but enough to feel guilt, right? Enough to feel shame in my doubt, in my frustration, in my anger. Can any of you relate to that? And then that guilt sets in, Right? I come down off my emotional bender and I am face to face with my failure. I'm cloaked in my shame and I know I need forgiveness. I, I want forgiveness. I know that God loves me and I want to feel that love, but I haven't been faithful. I've spat on his promises. I've mocked his goodness. I want to be faithful, but I have been so completely faithless. So what then? What then? What happens to me now? As I have wrestled with those questions, I can't tell you how encouraging our passage this morning has been for me. Today we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 11 and 13. Paul is writing to his young protege as Timothy is serving a difficult call as a young pastor. There's a lot I love about this book as a whole, but the brief passage we're looking at this morning is particularly dear to me. Paul quotes a poem to the young struggling Timothy. It's a, it's a call back to, to Paul's own letter to the Romans as we find some identical phrasing in Romans chapter 6, verse 8, as we find here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to follow along. There, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you, and if you so desire... Or the words will just be on the screen beside me, and you are welcome to, to read along there as well. We read the word of the Lord this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. 
us ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. In the midst of my wrestling with God and my struggle to be faithful and the emotions that flooded me over the, my failures to be all that I knew I was supposed to be, I received a request to speak at our regional convention. The theme of the convention back in 2019 was the sufficiency of Christ. And the board who was in charge of planning the convention was wondering if I would be willing to preach on this text from 2 Timothy. I read over the text, and when I got to that last line, I couldn't stop the tears. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. At first, they cut like a knife. For I knew that in my anger and my frustration and my guilt and my shame, I was the one being faithless. Nowhere in Scripture we promised a life free from pain, free from struggle. If, if we were to read earlier in this text itself, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, we would see that Paul tells Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering, like suffering is, is promised. We're, we're encouraged to, to, to go through that with our brothers and sisters. Suffering is not something we're spared, but though I know that suffering is a part of life, that doesn't mean I wanted to go through it. That doesn't mean I knew exactly how I'd react when I experienced it. If we are faithless. I don't know where your walk with the Lord has you today. I don't know what valleys you've been through. I don't know what times you've struggled in your faith with God. I don't know what has happened to you that has led you to feel faithless. What I do know is that we all have our moments. We all have our burdens. We all have our struggles and our, our opportunities for failure. If we are faithless, he is faithful. Those words are life for me. I've obviously read them before, but they had never hit me like they had hit me at that point before. And you encounter those moments when the shame and the guilt and the fear begin to rise in your gut. Remember this passage. Remember this promise. When your faith is shaken, Christ remains faithful. And God backed this promise up in amazing ways, didn't he? Do we think that God is surprised by our unfaithfulness? He doesn't like it. He doesn't want it. It's not his plan for us. But do we think it surprises him? No. God knew that we could not be perfectly faithful to him. That's why he sent Jesus. When his perfect son was betrayed and carried across up a hill, Jesus took our unfaithfulness. Along with the rest of our sin, Jesus took every time that we would wrestle with God, that we would doubt God, and there on the cross, he died for it. And when Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, Jesus redeemed it. When we believe in him, when we, when we trust in him, when we accept the gift that he gives, we are covered in Christ. He took every time that our faith wavers and he clothed it in his righteous forgiveness, his righteous faithfulness. This is the God we serve. So remember, please remember that when you are faithless, God is faithful. It's who he is. Will we still struggle? Of course. 
Will hardship still come? Absolutely. Will we wrestle with God over the, some of the things that happened to us? Yes. But instead of reacting to the struggles that we are facing by saying, we just need to have more faith, let us instead react the way that the father of a sick boy did in Mark chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. And what I love about this passage is that it's the same story that we see in Matthew 17. It's just a different view. It's a different take, and I, I, I love it. With the father and the boy who's possessed by the evil spirit, we, we just get a different perspective this time. One of the beauties of having three gospel accounts and not just one. The father comes to Jesus, and he says, If you can, will you heal him? And in verse 23, 24, we read, If you can, said Jesus. I love that. He's got like this question mark there, right? If, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And the father responds. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. This is a much more helpful cry than you just need to have more faith. For it rests not in our faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of Christ. A faithfulness that has been proven time and time again. A faithfulness that we have not earned, but one that has been given to us. I'm reminded of the old Presbyterian pastor, Samuel Rutherford, who once said, Often and often I have in my folly torn up my copy of God's covenant with me. But blessed be his name. He keeps it in heaven safe, and he stands by it always. What a beautiful picture. Though time and time again we fail to fulfill the covenant with God, though time and time again we are not faithful and in our faithfulness destroy our copy of God's covenant, our sin does not affect God's master copy. Our failings in sin, our lapses in faithfulness do not cancel the covenant. Through Jesus and his faithfulness, the covenant has been fulfilled and on account of Christ, God stands by it always. And it is safe in some awesome golden lockbox up in heaven somewhere. Church friends, Christ is truly faithful. He is faithful and he has not and he will not stop loving you. And Christ holds fast to us. And to the promises that have been made to the children of God. Though time and time again we have proven our faithlessness. He has not removed his promise from us. For he has paid for our slips, our shaken faith, and he holds us fast in his faithfulness. What a fantastic, loving, gracious, merciful, and faithful God that we serve. Amen.